0: Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. I have a really special guest this week. Singer, songwriter, and cyclist Joe Pernice. We take a look back at his career in song, ponder the wisdom that he's accrued while aging in the COVID era, and ponder the simple beauty of a guitar, a voice, and a tape recorder. Let's get into it. everybody. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's your host, Maddie C. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for pressing play, for downloading, for subscribing. You are, you are subscribed, right? Uh, if you're listening to this in a pod feed, and it's great if that's the way you're listening. That's a huge help for us. If you're listening in a pod feed, if you could go in and uh, like this podcast and then give us a rating and a review, preferably one that is positive, that would be... A huge help it does a great deal to help us find new listeners and to judge the algorithm so to speak because it's not just about whether or not we do good work it's about whether or not we judge the algorithm we have to make sure after all that that algorithm stays judged uh i still have those four shows to fill on the house uh show tour this summer here we go again i'm going to keep begging july 10 in Asheville, north carolina july 11 in atlanta or athens ga uh, July 13 in Nashville or Memphis, and July 15 in, oh, I don't know, about six different states across the upper <laughs> upper Midwest that I can get from Louisville, excuse me, Lexington, Kentucky on the 14th back to uh, the great state of Michigan on the 16th. Uh, please head on over to phoneoffourrecords.com slash house shows, and you can check out a full list of dates, including details on how to host a show if you're in one of those four places I just mentioned. It is easy. It does not necessarily cost you any money, and it's a lot of fun. My guess is that most of you who are listening right now have the necessary pieces to put this together. If you like what I do and you want to have a good time, let give me a holler. Let's let's talk. Um, let me keep going. Let me let me move on because I don't want it to all be hey do this for me and do that for me. Um, did you guys happen to hear the conversation I had uh, over the weekend with my friend Bill Boyle? Um, this came about because I had done a, a pod, uh, back, I think episode nine with my friend Kevin Richberg and Kevin is the most well-traveled person I've ever met in my life. He's been to 122 countries and Kevin and I had had a conversation after that pod that we were going to kind of do a sort of semi-regular travel thing. And I had already had a conversation with Bill who, if you've listened to the conversation, you know how incredibly smart and, uh, savvy and funny and what a great storyteller he is, uh, and how much he knows about history and the context of the places that he goes. And so what was supposed, what was supposed to happen? What was supposed to happen originally was that Bill and I were going to get together for like 20 minutes and we were going to talk about Vietnam. And that was going to be a supplement to my conversation with Kevin. And very quickly I realized that would be a stupid thing to do. Because why would I hide the genius that is Bill Boyle? So I hope you got a chance to see that. If you didn't, go back. It's episode 17. Make sure you find it. Bill and I have a really interesting conversation that ostensibly was supposed to be about Vietnam and winds up taking us to McSorley's and Belfast and Paris and a whole bunch of points in between. And it's a really great talk. I hope I hope you'll go check it out. Um, I want to know what you want to talk about, what you want to hear about, what you are thinking about. I want you to go over to a, a website called SpeakPipe.com and go to SpeakPipe.com/slash What Am I Making, and you can call me and leave me a voicemail. You don't have to actually talk to me. We don't have to talk on the phone. I don't think anybody wants to talk on the phone, but you can leave me a voice message. And it could be a question about my music or the pod or something that I've said or written about here. It could be an idea. It could be a rant. It could be a theory. It could be a deeply held belief that's going to piss people off. It it could be any number of things, but you could call and you could leave it. And then I could respond to it on the show. And if you call and leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash what am I making? You just click a little button. It's going to ask for permission to use your default microphone in your system. You record however long of a message you like that will then get uploaded to a server and sent to me. And then I can listen to it, download it and put it on the show. So do want you to do that. Speakpipe.com slash what am I making? Get involved. Let me know what you think. Now, let's get on to my guest and the entire reason that you are here, which is one of the best songwriters in the history of American pop music, in my opinion, Joe Pernice. I know if he listens to this, he's going to blush and he's probably going to go, no, that's fucking stupid. Uh, I'm going to stand by that statement. Joe Pernice can spin a melody as well as anyone in indie rock, and frankly, can turn a phrase better than anyone playing the game today. Over the course of more than 30 years in the rock and roll salt mines, Pernice has amassed an impressive catalog of songs. He's piled up mileage on the van and is in many ways still learning how to hit record. Our conversation begins with me asking him about how his recent shows in New York and Boston had gone. As he celebrated the deluxe reissue of the 1998 Pernice Brothers LP Overcome by Happiness. The reissue was part of a passion project led by a fan at label New West Records and eventually led to a gorgeous vinyl reissue, the first time the album had been issued on vinyl, as well as a 52 page book. Pernice was pleased, even touched, that the label had reached out and wanted his involvement even though that involvement was in no way legally required. From there, that launched us into a conversation into the shady labor practices at Spotify and the harsh realities of the musical economy in the age of digital streaming. Still, Pernice finds much to be hopeful about, including our mutual amazement at the talent of Taylor Swift and the way that lowering the gate could allow for more amazing work in the future. In addition to music, we talk about being a dad, love for the grand old game of baseball, and how COVID helped Joe to simplify his life a little bit. Richard, Pernice's most recent album, was a solo affair that was recorded with just a nylon string guitar and his voice, with no outside assistance. The simple act of playing guitar in his basement bike shop was enough to spring an album into being. The conversation that follows feels much like it must have felt for Joe to know he was making Richard. After we set things into motion, the conversation flowed with ease. It's a breezy hour with a thoughtful soul. Joe Pernice in conversation is very much like the effortless pop gems he seems to dispense out so regularly. It was a pleasure. It was enjoyable. And it was over before I knew it. So here is my talk with the great Joe Pernice. Enjoy. Morning, Joe. You there? Yes. Yeah, see you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, you? I'm well. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Don't sweat it. I'm happy to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh um before we get kind of rolling um and i'm sure we'll talk about this quote unquote on the record but how were the shows
1: oh they were really good um a couple bumps here and there but on, yeah. on the whole on the whole it was excellent because uh, oh, i'm super glad they sounded just like a time because we did the songs just like the record we didn't uh you know in the past we'd have to we'd have to you know we didn't have strings or horns or anything so you always had to kind of rearrange them to make them work live and now so, this time this oh, is sorry. the first time this is the first time we ever got to play them like the record like they were the way they were written so it was, it was great
0: um so how big a, how big a band did you have to put that together then
1: i think there were seven people on the stage and then a quartet so
0: we had 11 people probably wow that's amazing um what a yeah. wonderful experience to get to kind of envision that, even though it took a full quarter century for you to do it, what a, <laughs> yeah. what a, what a, what a cool thing. Um, well, let's, I, we, I mean, if, if it's cool we, with you, let's just keep going. We'll just, we'll pretend that was the beginning.
1: <laughs> do whatever, yeah, whatever you like.
0: I, I, uh, I was, you know, I was, I was, like I said, I was genuinely curious. Um, what, uh, what led to the reissue? Was it simply just a matter of, of chronology, just the 25 year marker? Was that the major impetus? No, um, I had nothing to do with it. Actually, I got a, I got a,
1: uh, an email from a, the guy at New West Records who said we're interested in reissuing it and you know putting it out on vinyl because the uh, the guy there, Brady Brock, his name is, was a big fan of that record and he always wanted to see it on vinyl. So he he got in touch with me. I don't own that record. That's a sub pop record. So okay. they could have. They could have made a deal without me even knowing about it, to be honest with you. But uh, New West got in touch and they said, you know, we only want to do it. We want to do this. They gave me their idea of what they wanted to what the packaging would be like and what the the reissue would look like. And uh, they would only do it, though, if I would be involved the whole way. So,
0: you know, we uh... talked for a while. What an upstanding way to go about it. Um, I get the impression that that's not necessarily common in this industry.
1: Well, it doesn't have to be. I I don't know what exactly is common, but in the past, like, you know, I was, I was pretty skeptical to be honest with you at first. It just reminded me of like when I was still on sub pop years ago, I know I had just been, I just got out of my deal with sub pop
0: and uh was that the I, the deal for Scud Mountain Boys and Chappaquiddick?
1: and the Pernice Brothers' first album, right?
0: Okay, gotcha. But uh,
1: they they went and licensed a collection of Scud Mountain Boys songs to some label in Spain. And the first thing I even heard about it was this, you know, little label in Spain who were fans, but they emailed me and said, "Hey, Joe, we licensed the this record from Sub Pop." Will you do a certain amount of press for it? And I was like, what, what the hell is this? You know, they were just fans. I knew nothing about it. I had no, no say in the songs, no say in the sequencing, no say in any of it.
0: Um, so, I mean, I understand a fair amount about what you're talking about in terms of having no say and no ownership, but for like, for the civilians in the audience, you don't necessarily know how all of this works without bogging them down if possible. Can you kind of break down how that works, how you make a record, but it's not yours?
1: Well, it depends on the deal you make. Most traditional record deals, back when I was signing record deals, if if a label gave you an, a certain advance, they'd give you an advance of money to record your album. They owned the recordings. They own the master recordings. Those actual recordings of the songs. So they, depending on the 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 what do you call the deal you make. You could either do something called a licensing deal where after so many years you get the rights to the recordings back. It could be a 50-50 indie split where you own the record and you split all the money. Or it could be like a regular recording deal where the label says, make a record for us. Here's X amount of money and we own the album. And for that album, that's what I we did. The Scud Mountain Boys did that. Um, actually, we licensed a couple of records, but oftentimes, while the while the master recordings are under control of a record label, whether through a licensing deal or a straight recording deal, the record label that owns that has the rights for that time period or for whatever period can sub-license those. They can assign them somewhere else. So, for instance, even though Sub Pop didn't own the scud mountain boys songs for eternity they only licensed them for a certain number of years during those years even though i was no longer signed to the label those contracts were still active and they had the right to take those songs and send them wherever they wanted it's a little
0: it's a little bit like subletting an apartment in a way um, well,
1: yeah, you, if you, you have a thing. It's, it's
0: yours. It's yours for a while, and you can sort of do with it what you want.
1: Yeah, I get. I mean, I'm not sure who's who. Am I the? I'm not sure who owns I would, the
0: apartment. <laughs> I would say that Sub Pop, in this case, owns the apartment, and uh, and they can uh, they can rent it out to you when you're not living in the apartment. I mean, they can rent it out to someone else when you're not living in the apartment. So uh, uh, I don't yeah. know, but yeah, he, I, I, is- I kind of got lost in my metaphor, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: The thing is, it's not it's it's not uh, illegal. They have the right to do oh, that. Oh, no, but, no, no. No, but let, what, if you let me finish my sentence, I was going to say that it's sometimes discourteous to not, it would be kind of common courtesy to say to the artist, hey, we're going to cut up your three albums and take two songs from this one, one song from this one, this one, and we're going to let some label package it however they want they have the legal right to do it it's just kind of you know it wasn't very cool and you know whatever but it is what it is
0: right um and then eventually obviously you get to the point where you you put together your own record company and i think your own publishing company correct
1: well i've always owned my most people everybody puts their own publishing company i just published the songs i don't own like I don't have a publishing company that actively like tries to acquire other publishing. I just never sold the publishing rights to my songs. So, but so when you, when you register your songs through like a performance art thing, like you see like BMI, ASCAP, CSAC, whatever you, whatever they are, SOCAN rather uh, those are just ways of publishing your songs so that they are, there's like a, Copyright protection on them, and you get your money for performance, as far as the intellectual property of the songs, the publishing rights. I've just never sold mine I've just always owned them, so but I did start a record label, yes
0: yeah, and that um was what was the first record that you put out on that label, Joe? Where did that start?
1: um which one of mine we actually the first record we actually my partner Joyce and I owned was a record of mine called Big Tobacco. But that, that was the first record we made for the label, but we didn't release it in America first. That record we licensed to a German label called Glitterhouse. So that was actually our first activity as a record label was licensing the rights to Big Tobacco to a German label. The first record we actually released, I think was The World Won't End. I think that for nice Brothers, The World Won't End was our first, uh, our first release.
0: Nice, um, that's, such a, that's such a beautiful record. And that had a vinyl reissue not terribly long ago, just in the last couple of years via Bandcamp, is that right?
1: We did, um, it actually got a very small vinyl run a few years back from a label called American Dust. I think they might have made three hundred. They were really short runs. I short actually, run, uh,
0: I actually got my hands on one of those, Joe, right when it came out. I was very fortunate.
1: Cool. yeah. So that yeah. The, it came out there, but that was a super short run. And then um, we, uh, then my label through Bandcamp started reissuing uh, some of the records on vinyl, and I don't remember where in the sequence that was. That might have been the first one we did. I just don't remember as a reissue. Sure.
0: What, um, I mean, obviously there's been such a massive amount of change in the time that you've been doing this, but just in the time that you've had in the 20 years or so that you've had Ashma, this has to have just changed just immensely. What What has some of that transformation been like and what is what is different and what has stayed the same in that timeframe for you? Oh, that's, <laughs> sorry, <coughs> excuse me,
1: my allergies are killing me. Um, well. When we started making the record, when we started the record label, you could still sell physical product. The CDs were still selling, right? Stuff was, um, I think like Napster was the threat, but it wasn't, you know, the handwriting was on the wall. It hadn't really, uh, streaming had yet to really, sap the the royalties from artists the way they do now but so that was different you could still sell records like we'd still sell tens of thousands of you know not us I mean one could still sell you know records right Uh, yeah and so that was different it was still equipment to make records I've always Since I left Sub Pop, I've been acquiring gear to kind of keep the cost of making records down because rather than spend a thousand dollars a day or five hundred bucks or fifteen hundred, whatever it was to make a record with some some know how and some gear, you could make keep making records for a small investment. So way back then. it still was pretty costly to buy equipment to make records that sounded the way i wanted them to sound nowadays for you know it's not nothing but for $10,000 you can make you know as good a record as i've ever made and still own all the equipment yeah it's so really nowadays it's easy to do and you know you can still Nowadays, you can anyone can release a record in a day. You could say if you had this the savvy, you could sit down, record six songs, make an EP, have it online for sale by tonight. yeah, and, I mean,
0: and and that's amazing it's it's really lowered the bar of entry at the same time. It's kind of muddied the waters a bit, right?
1: Uh, I, I, maybe I don't. I mean I guess if, if it depends i mean, yeah, if since there's more of it, I bet you some stuff is going to be of a different quality than others, but that really is all subjective. So of course, I mean, but also what is different now with the, with the, you know, proliferation and with the, you know, now that any, there are so many more records out there being, getting heard is probably harder because it's, you know, more to wade through. So rising above that, I think, is probably more challenging than back in the day when they were three for na- sure three it, labels. <laughs> you know and,
0: yeah. And and it's funny as things kind of you know sort of niche down and go into these silos, you know, I think if you can find one of those little those little neighborhoods or those little enclaves, you can you can have some success and you can resonate. And that's really exciting. But it is also interesting that like it seems sort of less and less possible, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, that we're gonna have another Michael Jackson or an Elvis or that kind of phenomenon again, just simply because we're all so um, disparate from each other anymore. You know, social. You think speaking.
1: you never know. I mean, I mean, there are artists who are having huge, like, you know, there are still those massive artists that are major label, defy the, you know, they just, I mean, look at Taylor Swift. It's yeah. outrageous that phenomenon, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's just a whirlwind, right? It's like big, way bigger than music. It's more, mm-hmm. you know, but it's huge. So there is still, there's still that world. But to me, that you know, that music world to me has never been anything I could even. It just seems like a whole different industry. They might It might as well be like it's outer a, space, an, an energy company or
0: something. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, they might as well be Halliburton um, or oh, whatever.
1: But I don't even think, you know, I don't always I, I, I'm not just trying to be nice here. But if people like that, then good for them. I really I don't have a problem oh. with that. I, I just do my thing. Like, I I just don't and I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm, I'm just saying I don't I don't really subscribe to like dissing something I'm not into and, you know, just because i'm not into it and or because i might have an idea of what i think is a certain quality of stuff like if you know people like people like it god
0: bless them I really, I'm, yeah I'm it. and it's i mean even you know even as somebody who is not necessarily you know personally drawn to it it is undeniable to me the talent that taylor swift for example has i mean it's just it's just an immense gift, whether or not she uses that in the way that you or I appreciate it doesn't matter. She's a force of talent and a force of nature. And it's, it's really it's, it's really remarkable to watch. And it's regardless of whether or not she works in the art form that I want. It's exciting to watch somebody who's that good at what they do. Oh,
1: she's I, I like her. Actually, I, I listen to some songs. I'm like, damn, that's catchy as hell. I oh, wish yeah. I wrote I wish I wrote that. I'm not kidding I have absolutely no problem with her. I don't understand. I mean, oh no. I don't get why I I mean I can see why I guess I can see why people get freaked out when a human being, or just a person, right, is kind of catapulted into this the stratosphere. It's like godly almost or I guess like, and I can see how people are wigged out by that. But uh I don't know it is I don't have the answers anyway
0: no no it's uh I I do think it's I, I do think that's an interesting point about sort of like the power of you know celebrity or or this this sort of massive phenomenon of someone like her or a Beyonce is another person who kind of you know sort of goes beyond just simply the music that they create and they sort of create this this universe um what do you uh I, I noticed that I think the last thing that you've got on Spotify is goodbye killer. Clearly that was a conscious choice to just stop putting new things up on streamers and you're not going to unring that bell, so to speak, but you can not play the game. Was that the idea behind that?
1: Yeah. it just, I, it's a bad, it's Spotify is a great, if it, you know, unless you're a vinyl person and then that's a whole different ball game, but if you just like to listen to music and you're not, um, caught up, or you don't care about them, whether the sample rate or whether it's analog recording or not. If you're just a listener of music. Spotify is a fantastic delivery system of music. It's unbelievable. Like it's from a, you can listen to anything just about any time, and it's it's amazing. The fact that it is such a shitty deal for artists and, and they are so, you know, it's such a a wasteland for artists way worse than being on a record label. The record deals of yesterday, when you hear about, Oh, you know, how awful record labels treat, treat the artists. Spotify is just awful as far as being equitable. And it doesn't have to be that way. It could be, it could be fair, but it's unfair. And it's they know it and they don't care. And
0: well, they have no it, they have no impetus to change because no one's holding yeah. their feet to the fire.
1: Yeah, why would they? I mean, why would they? Record labels have licensed, made deals with them to make all their music available. And why would they stop? And I, I understand why record labels love it. If you think about like, you know, if you're a record label and you have 500 titles a thousand titles in your catalog well if you want to those the way things were before if you wanted all of those catalog those titles to be earning money for you you had to press them you had to distribute them you have to you know stock them warehouse them somewhere like the amount of work it took involved in keeping a catalog in print and earning you money because as a business that's your what how you make money you sell records well you know now you have every now you don't have to think about that now all thousand titles in your five thousand titles in your catalog are now with a flick of a switch to oversimplify it available and potentially you know potential money makers let's say you like so back in the day you liked some artists like i don't know just pick anybody pick somebody like uh billy joel for instance right well you know well be, no someone even a little more obscure like say you liked um i don't know how about, someone who
0: didn't... How about D- so, the, the the old jeff Lynn band uh the idol race i don't know why that popped into my head
1: well okay so or you like Jeff Lynn, right? That's, that's a good example. So you like Jeff Lynn, what would you be able to find in the stores in in a regular store? The ELO stuff, maybe a best of traveling wheelberries, that stuff, right? Yep. Yep. And that's a, those were conscious decisions by a label. Like these are what will make us the most money. So we'll press and, and distribute these, blah, blah, blah. And there you go. Now, my hunch is that if you wanted to go and dig up every side project Jeff Lynn did, demos Jeff Lynn did, maybe stuff he collaborated with other people, my hunch is you could find a ton of that online. And all of that is now an earner for the label, whereas before you as the listener might not be able to find those records or you'd have to go looking for used or you'd have to get a bootleg or something like that. Because the labels had to choose, you know, well, we're not going to put this obscure demo of, you know, the Wilburys third lot. You know what I mean? Now every eclectic, every, every, it's all earning for them. It's a great delivery system. And why wouldn't the labels want to make a deal with Spotify? And it's it's an even.
0: Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go on. But it's almost an even better deal. For the end user, I mean, you can get—it's a great is, deal. Yeah, I mean, you can get essentially, you know, the you know ninety percent of Western recorded music for ten bucks a month on your phone. You can take it anywhere. Like it's I'd a great it. deal. You
1: know what? And if that ten bucks a month, if the artist got even a, a, a laughable share, it would be fantastic for everybody. That's what I mean. It's a fantastic medium. That that stuff's available. Like. You know what I mean? A- absolutely.
0: Can- I mean, the, the, the analogy I use with friends when trying to explain this from the perspective of a musician is that it's a little bit like, OK, pick a new movie. Now see how many different streaming sites it's on. And there's a pretty good chance if it came out in the last year, you still have to rent it. But you might have seven or eight streaming sites that you're paying ten or fifteen dollars a month for. Now all of a sudden you're spending one hundred and fifty dollars a month. You still can't get access to everything. But for ten dollars a month, I can get all of recorded music. That seems yeah. like a weird. That seems like a weird dichotomy to me. Like that's a pretty and check this tip. out.
1: And check in. yes, and it's actually if you think about it from a label's perspective. That, ten, that deal you made where you're getting, I don't know what percentage the label gets from every Spotify dollar. I heard somewhere like 70 cents, right? Anywhere. So for every dollar, I don't know if that's exactly accurate. There's so many numbers floating around and, and, and it's not the same. I don't think every label gets the same amount. But now, and if you think about the money that's being made, even though you're, you're only paying 10 bucks, right? It could, it, it should be distributed differently. Like everyone could be living well off of
0: that 10 bucks a month. Well, right? I mean, look at, look at what that guy, look at what Daniel act, the CEO of Spotify is spending his money on. Yeah. You know, he invested a hundred million dollars in the, in a German defense fund that makes intercon, intercontinental ballistic missiles. He yeah. gave however much money to Joe Rogan. He's given $500 billion to Barcelona football club. Like he's got the cash
1: oh he's super super loaded yeah i mean that's where you know yeah and if in labels would not do it if it wasn't worth it and even though like but i guess the point i was trying i got sidetracked by my own thoughts the labels it's it, and you just made a point like now for 10 bucks i can get all recorded music it makes it seem like the labels are probably not getting any like they're taking it on the chin, right? But they're also not pressing and deve- they're not pressing and distributing all of those Jeff Lynn demos. But now those are earning. They might not be earning a ton, but now every title, every title in the catalog that is streamed
0: is a potential earner. and there's there's no digital and, cutout bin. no yeah, digital record, no digital record loses money. For pressing it, no. If you exactly. lose money, it's if you lose money, it's because you you spent too much promoting it or too much producing it. Yeah, but it's not because I, hey, we 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 pressed a hundred thousand of these and we only sold twenty.
1: Yeah, you know what? When you distribute a record, let's say you're a record label, so you start your own label and you do a deal with a distributor because you, Matt, don't aren't a distributor. You can't get your records into stores now. Let's say you make a deal with a distributor and they say, we'll press your records, we'll charge you X amount per unit, we'll take this fee for this, our distribution fee off the top, and we'll get it out to these one-stops that get them out to stores and all that stuff. They'll, they'll get it out to 10. Let's say when when uh, if those records don't sell in a store, if a store buys 10 copies of my record and they don't sell any, they can return it and get their money back right so you're you don't once you sell it it's once a record label distributes gets a record distributed to a store it's not a done deal it's not like okay well i got paid and everything's great that record can be returned up to like i don't know 6 months or whatever it's consignment it's consignment and let's say for instance you're the record label and i'm the distributor and i said hey, Matt, um, those records, the, a 1,000 of your records that I distributed got returned by stores. So in this bank account that we've been holding in escrow, X amount of money off of your distributed records, well, these records that, these 1,000 records that did not sell, well, we're going to take that money out of your accounts because they didn't sell. So now you thought you made you know, six bucks by a thousand records, you're expecting six grand to come in, but instead it's gone because the record has, has been returned. Not only that, but then they'll charge you maybe a dollar or something per record to restock it. So not only did you not lose, you lost the sale, but you also now are in the hole because you have to restock that. Right They charge you a fee to restock that, yeah, i in, I
0: thought I sold a thousand records and made six thousand bucks, and instead i lost I, I lost a thousand dollars or whatever their fee is they might it, right. all of
1: that restocking stuff is negotiable, but you lost a certain amount, and that's because a bunch of things you could have it's no you know you might have overpressed, you might have said, oh, we're gonna sell more than we thought, and you didn't you might have spent your ad money the wrong way this but the point I'm making is not that it's a it's a that it's unfair but it's precarious and so if some digital person comes along and says guess what all that stuff about putting up money to press and distribute and restocking fees and all that stuff we can get rid of all that let's just make it digital what record label is not going to go for that Your cost
0: just
1: became nothing.
0: Talk about, talk about solving a pain point. You know, I mean, you, you have, you have all of these costs, all of these people, all of these, as you said, warehouses and different staff, you've got to have to do that. You've got to distribute all this stuff. You got to move it back and forth. That's all incredibly expensive. Even if you're a massive corporation that, that can, that can can break, you know, multinational companies. And now somebody's coming along and going, hey, by the way, the way your business model works, you essentially loan money to artists and let them pay you back. And then you actually spend your money, you know, basically warehousing and maintaining a logistical, physical catalog. You don't have to do that. Anymore. So you're not at you're, all. you're essentially a bank that lends money to artists and then collects it for them. Well, kind of. I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean- you know, I mean, I'm not always obviously different. different deals work different ways, but I think still a lot of sort of conventional record deals, the ones that exist still work that way. Does this stuff, does have, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: The the point of all this I'm trying to say is that unless you're a real audiophile, unless you're an audiophile or you enjoy the artifacts of holding a record in your hand or vinyl, those are types. Those are types of listeners. And I'm all for all of those people. But unless you're one of those, the digital world of music makes a ton of sense for everybody, except it's so inequitable to the people who are making the music. It's really, I'm not just whining. I'm just, because I've stayed out of it. I had my own it's, thing. I, like it's, it's, it's a labor-ish. horrible deal. Yeah, it's a, it totally is. It's, it's, and then they're talking about AI is, you know, like I've heard this thing where like there are Spotify tracks that gets thrown into playlists. I don't know how true this is but I've, someone was explaining to me how they'll hire someone to write a sound alike tune. Like, let's say you are, have a playlist that's called like, I don't know, indie acoustic, I don't know, whatever you have a playlist. And there are 50 songs on the playlist. And then, you know, out of those 50, there are like three songs that, you know, are, written especially for that playlist that spotify or the other platforms own right so they'll pay someone like i don't know 200 bucks or something i don't even know to write a song and then they own it and that gets thrown into the playlist well those are essentially royalty free plays they're paying no one royalty to use those but the user is still paying money to hear that song so and it's
0: also not being told it's not being created by a, in an inorganic fashion
1: yeah I mean or, you know what
0: I mean if yeah I mean I they're think, being, yeah it sounds manipulative
1: well I mean it's but I guess I, I don't know like I guess when you are a listener when you're a listener um, are you if you listen to a playlist of songs and you don't know what's coming up and you hear something you've never heard, if you like it, does it matter who wrote it? Or does it matter where it came from? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. But the point I'm making is that it's about a money grab for the people making the thing. They're just like, there's no, it's just adding a playlist with something they can sneak by you, or maybe even get someone to like that. They just can. It's to make more money. That's the sole reason. It's not to entertain your people. It's to kind of. It's to make more money. So what have you?
0: What have you seen in the way of of sort of actionable ideas that can be implemented or could at least be fought for?
1: That can change. Okay. Only because I'm not that. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but the whole thing is kind of is off-putting. I only go so far into it, and I just am like, well. That's not my business.
0: I mean, it sounds to me like you sort of have to know what you know, just simply because it's been such a big effect on your business.
1: Well, I kind of, I, you know, it's been years since I was part of that of streaming. I I haven't streamed and I didn't, I, I, I will be streamed now again, now that I've signed a licensing deal with new West, they will stream the music. And it's kind of like, I've kind of come to the, to the, just like the i've come to the point where it's like if you want to reach a certain audience you have to do it and i'd like to reach a certain audience and yeah i have to you have to do it and hopefully you can just make some noise maybe now that i might be part of that system i might turn my you know small local shouting which means me talking to you or my wife (laughs) into you know being more outspoken about it because now it really is my livelihood to me before when I just made my own records and I if you wanted to buy my record if you wanted to listen to my music you had to pay the 12 or 15 bucks or whatever it was you could download it for whatever and I and if you didn't you didn't have to if you didn't want to you didn't have to Uh, and that's kind of the stance i took not because um not because i was trying to leverage my my fans but because i didn't want to be part of that other thing that is kind of helping someone fuck you over yeah
0: it's and, and like i have a lot of i wouldn't say guilt but like it frustrates me that i have to sort of play that game i mean i'm a you know really really small independent artists and a couple of bands and i've got this tiny little label and you know if i want to book gigs nobody knows who i am i gotta i gotta be on spotify i'm not they're not gonna go oh matt sent me a link let me open no they're gonna put me in a playlist with 12 other bands that they might book and if i don't get on there i'm not gonna get on the list of bands that might get booked and it's just so it's a sort of pay to play thing it's just kind of a drag. you know, obviously, you've done a lot of other work, like a lot of writing. Um, does this world of sort of Spotify and economic bullshit kind of push you away from music and into other forms of art?
1: Not really. Uh, I don't really. I, I've had thoughts along the way, like not too, too long ago. I just might. I not. Hang on for a sec. Sorry. <coughs> it hasn't. But it had definitely like i was saying before i kind of said i'm going to do my own records i'm going to do them through Bandcamp. i'm going to make the records i want you know the way i always have and i'm going to put them out this way and if you want to come along and be part of it and listen to the records that's great and if not then that's also great that was that's about as far as i took my uh my distaste, or my, um, not protest, but that's that's where I put my line in the sand. There, I was just, but I I don't just you can't just turn off doing it. I've thought of like quitting music times, but it's just I can't. I just keep it. Just is what I am. It's what I it's do. It's a compulsion. I can't, it is what I do. I uh, can...
0: Do you, are you still, I mean, obviously I assume you're still writing. I mean, are you writing anything uh, active and, and working on a particular projects with like, I know you did some, you did some TV in Canada. You've done a novel, you've done uh, the meat is murder book, which I read and loved. Um, do you have other stuff like that in the works? Is that stuff that you're kind of slowly working on?
1: I'm always thinking about it. Like I, I definitely have a book that is brewed up in my mind. Like if I wanted to sit down and do it, I I have you know I have the idea, like a novel. I, yeah, but I just don't want to. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm enjoying writing music more than ever before. Like I'm sure a book will nag its way to the top of my list soon. I mean, not soon. I can't say when, but you- my my hunch is one will it'll surface to the top of the list. But I'm just. Mostly I'm a musician and I'm a songwriter and that's what I'd rather be doing than anything. So uh, I'm not going to take my focus away from that just yet. Writing well, a book is lonely. Writing a book is a, it's, it's fun, but it's a drag. I mean, for me at least like it's, it's, it's a full time.
0: It seems mm-hmm. like so many different pieces to keep track of. And like, I don't so know much about to- that. Oh. Yes. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's a lot of work it's a ton of work yeah. and it's and it's i don't know if i love it enough to do all that work but if uh, it call if it calls to me if I, if it comes if i get the nagging urge to do it like i did for the other two books then i'll do it but i don't know the older i get i just feel like i'm going to listen to i'm a musician you know
0: um i think i think the thing that i've always not think the thing that I've always admired most about your work is is your songwriting. Um, there's so much great stuff there. There's there's wonderful arrangements and the harmonies are great. But whatever band it is, the the songs are just amazing. Um, well, thanks. I I guess what I'm I guess what I'm wondering about is how do you what is your process for writing that? Like how do you get there? But like, are you somebody who you said you you had a book brewing? Are you somebody who kind of lets an idea percolate and then you go to work, or are you more of the Hemingway sits down at 9 a.m. every day and and goes to work at the desk.
1: Oh, for songs, I just, songs every once in a while, every once in a while, like melodies will come, like I'll get a hook and a melody just, you know, walking around that will come into uh, into my head and then I'll have to go and put that out, get that out. But for the most part, I sit down and play guitar, you know, when I have, unless I have something else going on, usually every morning and I play and stuff just kind of, it starts, it's like the motor turns on, you know, and you once open the yourself motor up turns on, yeah, the wheel starts turning and something, a melody will be like, oh, okay. For me, I'm one of those people where I definitely get a spark, like, you know, I might have nothing. I might be dead. Like a lot of times, and I've thought about this. There are times when I think about, it's not not recently because I have a lot of songs brewing right now. I have a lot of songs in progress, like 30 of them going on right now. I'm not kidding, wow. like 25 or 30 in the works. Some are done and some aren't. But there are times when I've had none in the works where I thought like, I don't know if I'll write another song. And, but of course I'd sit down and I'm one of those people where a melody or something will spark and then I'm off to the races. So I just have to trust that I'll feel that spark. And when it happens, um, you know, I just, I, I, that's when I'm having the most fun, right? When the spark
0: happens. And is it pretty typical that when the spark happens, if you've hit a bit of a drought that the spark happens and then that will Sort of return you back to a period of productivity. Is that kind of common? Um,
1: when I say the spark,
0: I mean for a particular song. Like, right? What I mean is, like, I I find that like if I go through a period where, um, like, I had a stretch where for eighteen months I didn't finish the song and it, it scared the fuck out of me. And um, um and um, when I finally sort of turned the spigot back on, even though I didn't finish a bunch of things right away, like, I just totally changed my perspective and I was much more open. And I just found that I was writing a lot more just by that one little turn of luck or, or work.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I don't, um, I'm just trying to think it's been a little while since I haven't written anything. I mean, and, and ever since the pandemic I've been writing like crazy, like more than I ever have more than I ever have, to be quite honest with you. And that could be, a couple things but one of the things I think it is is that for about six or seven years my son played a high level baseball and I coached and I spent a lot of time hanging out playing baseball with my son and coaching baseball with his team and traveling and playing being at the park that many days a week and I think it, and and I kind of made a decision that I'm going to do this with this period of my life. And maybe my music career takes a bit of a hit because I'm not going to tour as much. And I probably, instead of getting up at nine and writing a song, I'm going to go hit ground balls with my kid and a few other kids on the team. So I spent a big chunk of time with my son. And, um, as he, you know, he's re- he's 17, almost 17 now. And he's retired from high level competitive ball this last year. And uh, I also uh, stopped coaching a couple of years back. So I'm not sure if it's that the, the kind of resetting of things that being in quar being quarantined or being in lockdown, there was some resetting of things where a lot of clutter in my life, not the baseball thing, but other things disappeared. So it was like, Oh yeah, this is, I was able to really focus. So, and I'm you seem if- to
0: have kind of like fallen into like, I love the four track substack thing because it's just you and a guitar and kind of this little window into the process or the the moment that, that this happened in or that, that you mm-hmm. worked it from. And to me, there's something really kind of alluring both as a, as a, a songwriter and as a fan in getting down to sort of those most basic elements. Have you found a new energy from sort of getting back to the basics?
1: I think I have own, not so much about getting back to the basics. I just mean getting back. Like I, I, for that period of like being involved in my kid's life so deeply from sports and just being kind of a stay at home parent, I think you have a certain amount of energy and a certain number of hours and you either spend it on a, or you spend it on B and, you know, if you you know you can't do both to the same level and I think now I've just I've, I'm, I'm just have more time and and maybe I you know it, it takes that many hours of focus to get into the into a groove like you know so now i am just been in a groove for the last two years two and a half years that I haven't been in and since when I think about it since before I became a parent so I think I understand what the issue might be. You know what yeah. I'm saying?
0: <laughs> I was, I was just going to say, uh, I've been down that road. Um, what, uh, w- what was sort of your takeaway or what were some of your takeaways from that coaching experience? I mean, that's a greatest I was,
1: thing I ever did.
0: Uh, yeah. I always, uh, why tell me why?
1: Cause it was so much fun. I mean, you know, I got to hang out with my kid and we had a great time and you watch your, you know, you, I think base I'm a big baseball fan and I love watching it close up in youth sports where, you know, it's taken seriously, but not too seriously. You're seeing, you know, it's, it's a great way to watch someone learn how to cope with things. Baseball is a game of failure that you fail constantly. And the potential to it is you can always screw up, but there's always the next play. Every play is a new opportunity to like do something. So it teaches kids to like, you know, to get over things or to reset and to, you know, it's an amazing thing. And you have teamwork, you have the, tra- the chance of being emotional and yet learning how to handle your emotions. And, you know, it's just teaching and, and just the time. The time I got to spend was my son. I mean, I'm one of six kids and my parents are fantastic. My father, God bless him, he's 90 years old. He he worked. So, you know, my parents worked like crazy to raise us. And there were six kids. So, and even though we all, we had a great upbringing and everything, really close, my father's time was split among six kids. Yeah. And, you know, I loved the time we got to hang out and, for me, you know, do that with my son. I'm, what am I going to say? Like,
0: I, what, I mean, what a, what a gift to you that you were in a position to be able to do that for an extended period of time. I mean, that's uh, I I tell people all the time that money's one thing. Wealth is something different and that's wealth. Um, You know, that's just, that's just amazing. What a, what a remarkable uh, experience. I'm, I'm really happy for you that you got that. Oh, it
1: was great. I wouldn't change a thing. And, not that it's about winning cuz we didn't care but i never cared but one of the years they won the the provincial championships which is huge up here in, in wow. Canada we're in Ontario with his team they won it all
0: from like so they they won they won the entire championship for the entire province of Ontario that's correct that's amazing which is um
1: super rare i mean it's uh, rare meaning only one team does it every year
0: right so Uh, So he must be going into the end of high school then. You said he's about 17. He's going
1: to be a senior.
0: How are you handling that, Joe?
1: Uh, I
0: guess I'm handling it. I don't know. I'm kind of letting,
1: trying to, you know, I don't know. You have kids, I imagine. I do. They're, uh, They're
0: 22 and 24.
1: Yeah, well, you know how it is. You want to guide, but you also want to get out of the way. And you want to let people be independent, but you don't want them to you know, do any fuck up so much that they'll wreck yeah, their lives? Yeah, it's
0: mitigating the fuck ups, right? Like it's, I guess it's... so.
1: My own too, my own as well. I don't know. Oh what I'm doing. wow, yeah. Oh no, I, and I
0: talk about that all the time. You know, we we're just running around in the dark. I thought adulthood was a place where you got to and somebody explained the rules to you. No, you know, no, that is not how it works. Um, last thing before I let you go, how would you say we talked a little bit about the way that pandemic kind of changed your work habit and maybe your focus mm-hmm. a little bit? how would you say as you've sort of and i'll use a polite word here matured um as you've done that how do you feel like your habits have changed in terms of what you're watching what you're listening to what you're reading the things that you're interested in um have you noticed a shift in that in the last few years as you've kind of settled into firm middle age
1: um you mean that don't have to do with my music you
0: mean uh, no, I know. I mean, I mean, I, I guess I'm always I'm always fascinated by the way that culture influences the things that we create as as creative people, whether that's a song or a movie or a TV show or a book or an article or a play. I, I feel I guess what I'm asking is what are what are a handful of things in the last few years that you feel like have maybe changed your oh, I see. perspective a bit? You know, some things that make, and they don't have to be new. They can be new to you or that, yeah. you, that you rediscovered.
1: Yeah. The, uh, I don't know if it's pan, the pandemic or aging or a combination of the two. Like I can't separate sure my aging from this event that happened. So I'm assuming that it's a combination of the two, but I have certainly simplified my life a lot in the last, I don't know, three years, in, in that, you know, I, I was telling a friend of mine, the only things I want to do right now in my life are spend time with my family and people I care about. I want to play music. And I want to ride bicycles because I'm a bicycle freak. I'm a, I'm a always been into bicycles, but I've been a collector for years. I don't want to collect bikes anymore. I just want to be on a bicycle, spend time with people I care about and make music. Those are the only three things that I want to do. And I'm cool with that. I don't need anything more than that. I don't need, I don't need anything more. I've done a lot of things. That's all I want.
0: I, you know, really is about simple pleasures. And when you're, at least when I was younger, I didn't really get it. I didn't buy it. And I think that's, what's changed. And I think that's why I asked the question, Joe. And I think it is, it is a little bit of a combination of sort of a softening due to age and then what we've been through in the last three years. Um, And so I, and it
1: happened, sorry to cut you off, but no, you're fine. I, I do notice though, that it happened immediately. Like when all of a sudden we had we were locked down and up in toronto we were locked down more than you guys like it happened a, a few times up here we had a few lockdowns where it was like oh my god another 4 months another 6 months another whatever like it was it was a lot and so the that softening you say or the simplification it though it might have been um coiling up up to that point it seemed to happen overnight yeah. for me you know like i made a record i remember i i made this record called richard which m- most people haven't heard because i only pressed it it wasn't streaming but it'll be a, it'll stream whenever uh new west will put it out will reissue it <coughs> i said fuck it i'm going to sit in my i have a bike shop in my basement a little shop and I usually had a studio room upstairs in our spare room in the house, but since my wife had to work at home because her office was on lockdown, that room became her, her uh, space to work. And so I moved all of my recording stuff, crammed it into this little room in my basement where I would keep my bikes and all my tools and all my bike parts that I collect all that shit. And I remember just sitting down there and I had never made a record like this. And I said, I'm taking this nylon string guitar, which I love playing. I'm putting two microphones in front of me, and I'm going to record a record. I had no idea what I was doing engineering. I'm a, I become a better engineer. But three years ago, I didn't have any interest, and I wasn't good at it. My friend, Mike McKenzie, who I play music with, he set up a template in, in Logic, the Logic software, yep. I have it and stuff. And he set it up for me and he said, this is your guitar. This is your voice. Hit these two buttons. He set all the levels of like compression and all that stuff. I've since become pretty good at it, but I never had any interest. It just seemed like an impediment to make music and it would handcuff me. But anyway, he set it up for me. I just said, I'm sitting in this room because I love playing guitar down here and I like singing and I'm going to just make a record that it's all feeling on my part. I don't care if it's clams in it. I don't care if my voice goes flat. I don't care if I hit the note. And it's one of my favorite albums. I don't know if it's one of my best albums, but it's definitely one of my favorite albums. And I would not have done that had I not been in that spot. I found.
0: love it. I think it's. I think it's such a great experience to listen. I just listened to that uh, over the weekend because um, I hadn't listened to it a lot, and I listened to it on Bandcamp while I was doing some work on Saturday, and I just had it on here in the shedio And what I love about it is, it's because you did it that way. It's such an intimate experience. It feels almost like the moments being created for one listener at a time. I mean, I realize that's not what's happening, but that's the that's the impression that it gives to the listener if you're willing to give yourself over to it. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, now we're getting into another thing. There, are, There's a lot to be said of whether or not hearing a song performed like, you know, pe- so, like someone said, I wonder what it sounds like if you're sitting in the room. Well, that is what that sounds like if you're sitting in the room because I was in a room and I played the songs and that's what you would have heard. Whether or not that's always the best way to present a song that's that's. I don't believe that's the case. I don't no. believe every song should be done like that. But, you know, that's just one of those things. And I, I didn't do it to present anything to anybody. I did it for me to do and to feel like I was like the, the tracks that I kept that you heard. I felt something when I made all of those. And that was the thing to me. Like I'd say that vocal performance has it. Maybe I flubbed the guitar a little bit or I didn't finger the chords properly or I, I squeaked them a little. That was not the that was
0: immaterial. That process was... reminds me a little bit of what it's like when you first start making records. And you're doing that out of exuberance and naivete.
1: Yeah, I mean, this...
0: you know, like it's isn't it wonderful to recapture that in middle age when you've been doing this for 30 years or whatever?
1: Yeah, but I've always felt like I've always got some of that on my records. Like I didn't get away, I've just never done it alone. Whenever I make a record, there are moments like that. Every I wouldn't do it if I wasn't getting that. I had just never done it in a simple, like, um, in a let's how am I going to put it like if I'm making a record and was sitting there and it's got horns and strings there are all of those moments where there's something magical happening for me I don't care about how it comes about as long as I get that feeling from it and I was I had just never done a record where I got that feeling doing it this particular way. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You follow?
0: You follow yeah. Me? Yeah. The, the phrase that I wrote down while you were, while we were talking about this earlier was there's something alone and unadorned about that record. Like, it's just very It um, is. That those are that's pretty true because that's those are that's a
1: literal uh,
0: Yeah, those are literal. But you, but you can also feel that in the songs, like in the way that it's presented in this more than just the instrumentation, just the, the feeling of the whole thing. It is very intent it's one person Uh, i just i think it's a it's a really effective delivery system for that set of songs and the fact that you made it that way organically makes it that much more special
1: yeah and you know you can get but you can the thing about that too is i use i don't know how much you know about gear but i think you do but you know there are times when you're making an album you're like okay i'm gonna try wouldn't it be great to have like this we'll use this kind of mic preamp in this, you know, Neumann or whatever kind of mic. And you're looking for this really super classy signal path because that's what it calls for. On these particular songs, I literally used a 58, an SM58 mic that you can buy for I don't think they've changed the price. They're a hundred bucks. They've yep. been 98 bucks forever. I used one of those on my voice and one of those on my guitar. I went to a music store and bought one of those kind of stands that an acoustic guitar, you know, it it hooks onto another stand. So I had literally a microphone stand with another little stand on it, uh, a swing arm, a boom arm that put the mic on my guitar. And that was it. I went into, I went into nothing special. I just did it raw. And I was just trying to get that, the vibe, get the feeling of it. So it was great to, uh, to, you know, it, it was crude. It was crude and it was easy.
0: I think uh, easy is good sometimes. I think it's great to be able to sit down and create immediately as opposed to going, I'm going to, I tend to, um, I, I tend to not, to use a baseball term, trust my stuff. I often, mm-hmm. often want to put more spit and polish on than maybe is necessary because I don't have the confidence I should. Um,
1: I, I learned a great term from my buddy Norman Blake from Teenage Fan Club when we recorded together. What's that? He said,
0: underdub. Oh, Instead of overtone, oh, 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 oh. that is fabulous. I am writing that. That uh, Norman is a guy that is on my uh interview wish list pretty high. I uh, I think immensely highly of that band. And I, not to keep blowing smoke up your skirt, my friend, but uh, that new mendicants record is really sung.
1: I love it. Oh, thanks, yeah, that was really fun. That's fun. He's a, those both Mike and Norman, very talented guys, great guys to play with. Yeah. But yeah, that um, was, I always, I always think of that Van, that Norman thing. It goes, Yeah, let's underdub. When well, you lay all the shit on something, then you just listen and just start ta- peeling off anything that is not necessary. It's fun to like, it's fun to record 25 guitars on a song. It's fun to fill every inch of the audio spectrum with stuff. It's, yeah it's a fucking blast but at the end of the day you got to start you have to you know shift gears and say what is what am I trying to get across and is this doing it and is are those 30 guitars those six guitars getting in the way of this the other important thing some and it that's a skill I think in itself learning to get get pared down to what is the most effective version of a thing and a lot of times that for me, most times it means removing something rather than adding something.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It it sounds like an Eno quote, but I don't think it is, but the, the the quote is essentially some version of, uh, not playing is as much of a choice as any note.
1: Oh, that's funny. You know what? Another quote. Cause I remember, uh, Rick Mank, my, my buddy drummer, Rick Mank played on one of my records. Uh, uh, which record goodbye killer and i said to him i i you know you I, I wanted him to play drums but i was like um i don't want any symbols can we do it without any symbols and i think they and except a the hi-hat there's no crash no ride on that whole album nowhere and he said to me which was pretty cool he, he calls me Pernis, original Pernis, in my brother's other Pernis. so he's like original Pernis." He goes. The older I get, he goes. I want to hit fewer things, fewer times.
0: <laughs>
1: I was like, right on.
0: What a what a great way. Let's 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 leave it there with the wisdom and the majesty that is Rick Manga the Velvet Crush. Sounds um, um, good to me, Joe. I appreciate this so much. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait yes. to see. I can't wait to see what's next, my friend.
1: Cool, man. Well, uh, you know how to reach me, so drop me a line. We'll stay in touch.
0: All right, man. I I can't thank you enough. I'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. How about that, huh? There he goes. Joe Pernice. Thank you so much to Joe for being on the show. Thank you to you for being here today. Thank you for playing this episode. Thank you for downloading. Please make sure that you are subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing. As always, make sure you're paying attention to what I am doing over at the Substack. It's whatamimaking.substack.com. If you're not already a subscriber, you can go over there and sign up for free. You'll get an alert every time I post something, whether that's an article, an essay, a video, a podcast, or something else. Uh, And if you really appreciate my work, This work is not possible without your paid subscriptions. I can't keep doing this at this level without your support. I just, I can't keep doing it. It it means the world to me to have the support that I have from you already. And if you can't afford to subscribe, that's totally understandable. If you're still waiting to find out whether or not this is worth your money, I get that too. But if you're enjoying this and you have a little bit of resources and you could become either a monthly, a yearly, or a founding member, that'd be really huge. Go over to whatamimaking.substack.com dot com and sign up for a subscription right now thanks again for being here i got lots more fun stuff coming soon i'm going to leave you with a message from uh, a listener my dear friend and uh, harbor cup bandmate nate moore to show you how easy it is to uh, leave a message over at speakpipe again go to speakpipe.com slash what am i making leave me a message about whatever it is that you want to talk about here on the show thanks for being here i'll send you out with nate
1: hey matt this is nate First-time caller, long-time reader. You're doing a great job. I think you're super creative. Um, it's been uh, a lot of fun to read your blog, and I love the drive you got going on. And
0: I know that your tour is going to be just stellar. So I wish you the best, man. Thanks, Nate. I love you guys. I love you too, Nate. Thanks to David J for the uh, wonderful theme music. I'll see you very, very soon. Bye, everybody.